welcome. I'm Victoria Schneps, and this is Power Women. And I am from the uh, core delighted to have with me today, Crystal McGuire. And Crystal is quite an accomplished woman in her own right and kind of got the big bear spotlight on her because her husband, Ray, is running for the mayor of the greatest city on earth. Welcome, Crystal. Nice to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here with you, Vicki. So, Crystal, um, I, I wanted to ask you, growing up, was there an influence on your life that kind of helped be who you were or put you on a path? Absolutely. My grandparents were my biggest influence, who are my parents. I was raised by my maternal grandparents in Detroit, Michigan, and they were two of the hardest working people that I have ever met in my life. I mean, they were depression era uh, parents who knew the value of a dollar, knew the value of hard work and savings and education. Uh, my grandmother was a uh, Detroit public school teacher, then principal for uh, over 40 years. And my dad worked for, you know, Ford Motor Company for about 40 years as well. And they just taught me um, the importance of hard work and humility and just being kind. Honestly, that was probably well, their know, biggest influence. That really is a core value, right? being kind. Yes, absolutely. My funny story about my, um, you know, I, I say dad, granddad, you know, but they, they were my parents. But uh, when he retired from Ford Motor Company, he got these business cards made with the Ford emblem on them, his name, which was Magellan McCrary, he passed away a few years ago. But he put under his name, uh, Magellan McCrary, just a nice guy with his phone. Oh, what a <laughs> <And he> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful Small thing to do. I bet that began conversation anytime he handed out his card. It did because he was just, you know, not that person that cared about titles or people putting on airs. Uh, and he did that sort of a joke as, you know, all these other people that give you their cards with a million titles on them, president of this, CEO of this, executive. He's like, this is my little, this is, this is who I am. And that's how, that's how he lived his life. So I'd like to think it when I, when I think about the legacy of my dad is that he taught me um, kindness, um, the importance of character and integrity. And my mom slash grandma, she's 95 years old. She's still oh, with us, thank God. And she uh, is is brighter and, 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 and sharper, frankly, than us all. Isn't that a gift? That's a great gift to have that wonderful connection to your heritage and to your roots. And now you've rooted, you have been uprooted for years, I think, from Detroit, but you did go to the University of Michigan, and then you went over to NYU Law School, which I just celebrated my grandson's graduation, virtual, from that great law school, which is a very interesting activist kind of law school orientation. Did that lead you in terms of your career? Because I know you did stay with the law for a while. Yeah, I mean, I was interested coming out of law school in going, you know, obviously to practice at a firm to get the experience. I mean, I wasn't the most passionate about practicing law, but I did work at Paul Weiss Rifkin in their entertainment department. And so what I thought that was going to do for me, given the fact that I had been an English literature major in undergrad, and that was really my passion, writing and just all things 
creative. I thought, oh, if I go practice law and I'm at least representing artists, that that would be, you know, satisfactory to my creative urges. But I quickly found out that I'd rather be the uh, client than than the than the lawyer, and I wanted to be a client as a as a writer. So that's what I did after practicing law. That's uh, my first. Um, sort of foray into uh, the creative life was uh, me uh, writing a few books, writing a few novels. And then I know you had a, some TV deals and some working with Viacom on producing shows. Yes, absolutely. So from uh, uh, writing the books, I went on to produce and direct some docu-series, uh, some, you know, feature films. And, you know, I worked under the umbrella of of Viacom, of, of, of Fox, um, Lionsgate actually just licensed my most recent novel uh, called Gotham Diaries, which is about New York City, uh, the underbelly of New York City real estate world. It's just a fun sort of juicy, juicy novel. Wait a uh, second, slow down, say it again, because I want to write it down and make sure I got, download it. What's it again? Oh, absolutely. It's called Gotham Diaries. Okay, because you know we do a lot with the bookstores and book reviews in the paper, so I got to make sure we get that one going. Absolutely, so it was a few years ago, but the the series is now being developed into a television series. How exciting is that to see your work come onto the the wonderful video uh, the platforms of uh, television today is extraordinary. But give us an inside know how. And how you met your wonderful husband, who is now running for mayor in the greatest city on earth. <laughs> well, no, how did you so, meet him? So I actually I met him at a um, welcome to New York reception that uh, a mutual friend of ours was having for um, a professor who was going to be in uh, New York City. They were here on sabbatical. So I mean, it's like doesn't sound particularly exciting, but. I was walking into uh, this apartment where it was being held and he was walking out and we met in the corridor and just, you know, instantly stopped and the rest was, was history. I mean, there was wow. an immediate, there was an immediate uh, attraction. I didn't know, you know, what it was, but uh, we started, we started talking and uh, I was, I was newly divorced uh, with two young children when we met. He had never been married before. And, uh, you know, given that we decided to, you know, once we started dating, let's, you know, take this slow, make sure that um, we're, we're, we're in it for the long haul. And of course, we were, are in it for the long haul. And now we also have uh, a child that we had together. So we have three kids, eight years old, 18 years old and 21 years old. Well, would you brag about one of them, please? Because everybody should know. I mean, that's a mother's right to brag. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, parents, of course, we like to brag about all of our kids and all of my children are amazing, of course, as we all think of our children. But uh, the one I think you might be talking about is uh, the 21-year-old Cole Anthony, who uh, plays uh, professional basketball for the Orlando Magic. He was a first round draft pick in the NBA this past year. And, uh, you know, hometown kid went to Archbishop Malloy in, in Queens, uh, at, you know, which is a great basketball program. And then went on to UNC uh, Chapel Hill for college, did what's called one and done. 
you know, you play one year of college and then you enter the NBA draft. And he was, uh, you know, blessed enough, I guess, to, to, to get drafted by, uh, by Orlando with the 15th pick. Wow. So I, I want you to have an opportunity to tell everyone why they should vote for your husband for mayor of New York. Well, thank you for that opportunity, Vicki. <laughs> I would love to tell everyone why they should vote for my husband, uh, Ray McGuire, uh, because I believe that he is the most qualified in this moment to manage, lead, guide New York City out of several existential threats that it is experiencing in this moment the existential threat of the pandemic and the economic implications of, of, of you know, the joblessness, over 900,000 jobs have been lost since the, since the pandemic. Wow. Um, a multi-billion dollar debt that New York City is in. Uh, the, you know, crime has risen in all five boroughs. People are not feeling safe. Uh, and the crisis of homelessness, uh, and of course, the crisis of the economy. And I believe that Ray has the skill sets, the, the financial acumen, the business management skill set, and frankly, which is something that can never be underestimated, he has the integrity as well. He is not a, he's not a bureaucrat. New York doesn't need a better bureaucrat right now. Not a career politician. Uh, you know, all of the candidates have different traits that they bring to the table and you always, you know, appreciate people wanting to enter public service. Uh, in the case of Ray, he is the one candidate that has the overarching managerial and financial skill set to bring all of those elements together to revitalize New York City in this moment that we are experiencing as a city. Well, you know, also you had shared with me, which I was very interested in hearing about, is all of his volunteer work and how he used his uh, corporate Rolodex, so to speak, to really help different groups. Talk a little bit about the groups that he's been involved with over the years in the communities. Sure, uh, Vicki, thank you so much for, for bringing that up. I'd like to call Ray, my, uh, my husband, a private public citizen. So for the past 35 years, without seeking attention for it or putting out a press release, hey, look what I did, aren't I great? I did this for the community. Ray has been in all five boroughs, materially improving the lives of New Yorkers. Whether it's the work that he has done with the New York Public Library, ensuring that communities that are broadband deserts have Wi-Fi, particularly um, that became even more important during the pandemic so kids could have Wi-Fi to do their remote learning, whether it was helping local organizations in Queens uh, like um, Life Camp that are violence interrupters that work in co-production with the New York City Police Department to ensure that violence, particularly gun violence, and gang violence is prevented before it happens. That's an organization that he's been supporting for years. Whether it's ensuring that Brooklyn Community Hospital gets um, PPE 
uh, whether it is ensuring that small business owners, restaurant tours have startup capital throughout the city, whether it's ensuring that churches and community organizations at the beginning of the pandemic got expedited applications to their um, PPP loans. Ray has been at the at you know the, the front lines ensuring that New Yorkers have resources, New Yorkers have access, that there is equity for women-owned businesses. Um, he's, he did that in his career, actually, but he also did it outside of his title of being, you know, within a bank. And that's just something that he has been committed to since he's been in New York City. I mean, he didn't just, you know, move to New York City after being a scholarship kid at, you know, Harvard for, you know, three different degrees. Where did he grow up? He grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Um, And, you know, he moved out east to go to boarding school, scholarship kid, took a, took a, at 16 years old, took a Greyhound bus (laughs) from the middle of, you know, middle of the country to the East coast and went to Hotchkiss on scholarship, Harvard on scholarship. I mean, he likes to joke. He said, I got there with my, you know, wardrobe and their kids had on the, the the shirts with alligators and polo who's on them. He's like, they cost more than my whole wardrobe. Um, but, but he's someone, so he's someone, you know, people say, you know, for someone coming from the private sector running for public office, you know, well, well why you, you know, where have you been? Um, well, I'll tell you where he's been. He's been in New York City helping New Yorkers for over three decades, actually going on four decades in every way imaginable. I mean, building schools. He helped to build the De La Salle Academy for under-resourced middle school kids to ensure that they got um, an opportunity uh, to get the best possible education. He helped build nursing stations at hospitals around the city. Uh, This is a man who has had a heart committed to public service and put that into action. And his mother raised him to be known by his deeds, not mm-hmm. by his words. And so this- What a wonderful- called, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that is what how- a wonderful, mother, you know, I, I, I wonder why you two got along with the kindness and the deeds, you know, that makes it very kind of a nice, beautiful blend. And I'm gonna throw you a curveball. What would be your project if you were first lady of New York City? Wow, what would be- I know it's a curveball because I did Yeah. Um, Is there something you're passionate about? I will will say this. At the risk of sounding (laughs) Pollyanna-ish, I am very interested, particularly in this um, space that we're in as a city and in many respects as a nation where there's so much divisiveness The areas that I am interested in really have to do with how we can be more unified in solutions. And so I'll give you an example of that, which is why I also brought up Life Camp earlier. When I think about, for instance, the uptick in violence, you know, uptick in crime and the intersection of issues around social justice. And there's all this chatter from different groups. Some people want to defund the police. Some people want to give them more money. Some people just want to reform them. Some people just want to keep them as they are. And the way I would approach something 
like that, that is so incredibly divisive is rooted in how do we come up with the solutions from a data perspective, right? And so and or where we actually come together, where, where seemingly divergent sides actually come together and recognize we have so much more in common. We have so much more that we want that is similar as New Yorkers than what separates us, right? One, yes. of, our, one of our policing data uh, people that we have spent a lot of time with actually did a study where he got for three days, he got about a hundred police commissioners from around the country in a room with a hundred police abolitionists. And they're about as far to the left as you can imagine. <laughs> they just wanna get rid of the police, right? He got them together in a room for three days. And do you know after three days, what the conclusion was of these three completely polar opposite groups coming together? The, the, the key finding was that they wanted 95% of the same outcome. Wow. How Can powerful you is that? Imagine? We got to publish that. We got to <laughs> publish that. I mean that. We'll talk afterwards. And yeah. I'll, and, I'll, and I'll get you the study and I'll get you information from this policing data expert. So, like, uh, yes, remarkable. Philip Atiba Goff, and it's the, from the Equity in Policing group right here in, in New York City. And so, so that, I know that didn't answer your question, but I look at how do we become more unified at the cross section of, of groups that seem like they'd never have something in common, but if you just get them in a room together and actually sit down and try to hash it out and be solution oriented, you know, just again, and I'm not going to step into the, the, the deep territory of New York City schools, but I will say this. It should not be about one special interest or one group over here. It should be about what is in the best interest of the children and parents having a choice. Well, I think, you know, your, your words are very wise because I think everything starts as it with, with you and we did with Ray in your childhood. Um, but I see a woman now who's very accomplished and very successful in her own right. And I would love you to share with me and our listeners some secrets to success. What do you see that could help other people on the road to success? Wow. What could help other people on the road to success? Um, one thing I like to say is stick to itiveness. Just for mm -hmm. you know, that's a um, that's sort of a, a general concept. But when you start something, you know, whether it's a creative endeavor, whether it's you know, working on going to school, whether it's you know, project based in any number of areas, see it through. Right. See it through and seeing it through sticking to something will look different for different people. Right. So um, set those goals and the strategy and the execution, but sticking to it to complete it based on what you have set at the very beginning of going about this particular project that I am going to see it through. And I think that that is essential for one's um, 
for one's self-esteem, right? You know, the more you put into something that you believe in, the, the more motivated you are to continue to put more into it. You know, in, my, in the case of, of myself, stick-to-itiveness when I, when I wrote my, my first book. Um, and I'm not saying that it was so great what I, you know, you know, just from the perspective of a writer, all writers know that all first drafts of anything, if we're looking at what did Hemingway say, all first drafts are, and then some bad word, crap, <laughs> but he said a bad word. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's the setting your mind to doing it, executing on it, sticking to it, to get it, to get it done, whatever that is. So I, I, well, would say I, I think first step. I think that's, uh, we call it persistence and not giving up. So I think you have, uh, you know, used another word of uh, being able to stay with something. And I think nothing is uh, more important than if you have a goal see it to the end. So we are, we know you have a goal to get your husband elected mayor of our great city, but I'm sure you're going to carry on with your great career and continue being the great mother you are and a great wife and a great career person, the blending of the two, three, or maybe more things that you have to make sure you accomplish every day. But I've been delighted to have Crystal McGuire as my guest. Thank you for being with me. This is Victoria Schnepps and see you next time at Schnepps Media. Power women. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you.